My name is Ryan Fultz. I'm the director of high school ministry here uh, at Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, and I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Uh, I was actually not here this past weekend. Peter preached a great, great sermon. I got to catch it uh, on video. But I was not here this past weekend because I was uh, driving around... Uh, Five states in the Midwest uh, on a trip we call Quad Quest in our high school ministry. What that is, is I took 28 juniors and seniors and we went and visited about seven colleges in about five days. Uh, We're going, we're going, going, driving a lot, doing a lot, but had a great time. So I want to first just thank you. Many of you, you sent your own kids or many of you prayed for us. Thank you for praying for us. God really blessed this trip. He kept us safe as we drove all over the place. He gave us uh, great tours and admissions presentations at some of these schools. Uh, And we also just made a lot of fun memories, great conversations, talking about the Lord, talking about the future, kind of what, uh, how should God have us think about these kinds of things. So thank you for praying with us and for us as we took this trip. Um, But I did get to listen to Peter's sermon, even though I wasn't here. And I was so encouraged to be reminded about the the adoption we've received through God. It was such a great, great sermon to be reminded that we are joint heirs with Christ, that God has adopted us into his family, made us sons and daughters for life. And then even uh, more specifically, what the institution of adoption here in this world and how it communicates that same love and that same beauty in the gospel. It, is a, it was a sweet, sweet time. And it was great to be reminded of that. Well, my text for today, uh, as Peter mentioned, we're going back a little bit uh, due to, due to uh, just a few scheduling things. But my text for today is Romans 8, 5 through 13. And so, so that we can get some context, so that we can kind of know where we're coming from. And as we kind of work through this, uh, I want us to go all the way back to Romans 8 1 and just read uh, through verse 13. So we'll read this, uh, then I'll pray and ask the Lord to work this morning, uh, and, then, and then we'll get to work. Does that sound good? Great. Romans 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Pray together. God, thank you for these glorious truths. All throughout scripture, but specifically, thank you for Romans 8. Where we're reminded that we are no longer under under condemnation as believers. 
where we're reminded that we've been adopted into your family. And where we're reminded today of all that you've done in our lives and all that you call us to. Be with us today, God. Use your word to open our eyes, to expose our hearts, to give us hope and help where we need it. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the cross. And it's by your blood and through your name that we pray. Amen. Well, on on trips like the one that I just took this past weekend, some of the best moments uh, and the things we remember most are the unplanned moments, right? So those, uh, not necessarily the admissions presentation or this specific school and the tour and what they did, but kind of the unplanned moments, the, uh, the inside jokes that we bring back or the, uh, the impromptu dance parties in the middle of Chicago on Navy Pier. Those kinds of things uh, are the memories that stick with us for years to come, but also the great conversations, the uh, the, the, the hard questions asked, the things talked about. They're the little things, uh, but they often make a world of difference. Well, today I want to uh, share a little bit of a story with you of something that happened last weekend on this trip. And the reason I'm going to share it with you is I really think it helps us understand and frame what we actually see here in Romans chapter 8. So we were at this school. We had just finished uh, our, our, our lunch, we had had a tour, had a presentation. Uh, we had just finished lunch and we were getting ready to leave. And so normally what that means is I send everybody, everybody to the bathroom, right? Every single person, I don't care. Uh, if you just went 10 minutes ago, I send you to the bathroom. Uh, so we were loading up the vans. Uh, everybody was coming back. Every time we hop in the vans, we do kind of a numbers check. We check our van. We have to have the exact same number of people we started with uh, before we leave uh, this school. And so we were getting ready to do that. I was sitting in the van, and I got a phone call, okay? Uh, the student's name came up on my phone. Now, I give my students my cell phone number. I make them text me, so I have all of their numbers. So I saved it in my phone. So I get this phone call. Uh, it's got a student's name. Now, the student's not riding in my van, so I'm thinking, he's in the other van, they need something before we leave, great. So I answer the phone. Now, I can promise you I don't remember the exact words. I wish I did. But the words were something to this nature. Hey, Ryan, um, where are you guys? (laughs) So keep in mind, we're on a campus that I've been to twice in my life, it is a huge camp. I mean, not like huge, huge, but it's a big campus. And in my heart, I'm looking at my schedule knowing we've got 30 minutes <laughs> till we've got to be across town at this other school. So in that moment, there are three incredibly important things I have to do and we have to do if we're going to, number one, not leave him behind. <laughs> but number two, if we're going to be able to get to our next school so we can see this campus and uh, not put the rest of our day off. Uh, now, these three, these three things may seem simple, uh, but I think they're what are really, really important in moments like this. The first thing we, I asked him to do is tell me what you see, right? Look around yourself and give me some, some, some markers. So he starts explaining what he sees. And in, in, in my head, I'll be honest with you, all I said was, that's a cross campus. Ah. But he starts telling me, here's where I'm at. Here's what I see. So number one, he recognized where he was. He started talking about it. But number two... Uh, how did you get to where you are, right? So we had all left from lunch to go to the same spot. We walked together. And how were you not with us? <laughs> so I, that, that was my next question is, well, well, how did you get to the, 
other side of campus. Uh, and so he's like, well, this is what I did. I waited at the wrong door. I thought you guys were coming out and you never came. So I just, you know, started walking. And uh, I don't remember exactly how the conversation went. But at the end of the day, he's across campus. We're on the other side. But the next step was also just as important. So number one, he looked around. Okay, here's what I see. Uh, then he remembered back and said, okay, here's how I got to where I am. But the third thing was, okay, now how do we get where we need to go, right? And so for this situation, it meant him backtracking, us uh, getting one of their students in the van to drive us to where we needed to be so we could find him. We found him, loaded up the vans. We were good. We didn't leave him. Uh, But we had to do those three things. We had to look around and notice where we were. We had to take a look back and, and kind of figure out, how did we get here? And then we had to look ahead to figure out how do we get to where we need to go. Now, Romans 8, uh, specifically verses 5 through 13, carry this kind of flavor for us this morning. We we see Paul kind of talking in in general terms to, to the people in Rome, giving them two perspectives on a person. So he's asking people to, to look around and see where they stand. Then he's, he looks directly at the Christian, the believers in Rome and says, remember how you got to where you are. And then he closes it out with just a small sentence reminding them of their direction and where they're supposed to head. So that's what we see here. And so there are really three specific actions that I think this text is begging us to take. Now, they're not explicit in the text. And what I mean by that is it doesn't say thou shalt go do this. But what it says is it gives us a truth and then it's asking us to respond to it. And so today there are three of those that I want to talk about in this text. The first one, the first one is this. Recognize where you stand. So just like my student had to look around, get his bearings, figure out where he was, I'm asking you to do the same. Recognize where you stand. Let me read verses 5 through 8 again real quick for you. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So Paul right here is not giving us a list of imperatives or things to take action on. He's giving us a description of two incredibly different realms, two different kinds of people. And he explains it by giving three specific differences. Now, he's not just saying one likes vanilla ice cream and one likes chocolate. He's not just saying one's a morning person and one's an evening person. These are fundamental differences between these two people. It goes to the core of who they are and it flows out through how they live. There's a fundamental difference. And so there's a difference in three things that we'll see here and we'll walk through them in this text, five through eight. There was a difference of identity There's a difference of mind, and there's a difference of eternity, okay? We're going to see that in this text. A difference of identity, and a difference of mind, and a difference of eternity. So in verse 5, we get these words, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on things of the Spirit. The first difference is one of identity. That's why we, we see these words, to live according to 
Uh, Some translations would say, be according to. This is not an action here either. This is not a, people who do these things are like this. This is a positional statement. This is an identity statement. This is Paul describing two kinds of people and saying, you are either in the spirit through Christ or you're still under your sinful flesh. It's two kinds of people here. So Paul is trying to to get the church in Rome to just look at this really quickly before he moves on, saying there's two options out here, two kinds of identity. But Paul doesn't stop there. If we're going to think deeply about where we stand, how do we do that? What indicators do we have in our life? How can we really diagnose our own hearts and see where we stand? Well, Paul takes it a little step further and he describes the difference of the mind. So if you look at the back end of of each of these clauses, you see the words, uh, set their minds on things of the flesh or set their minds on things of the spirit. In in a book called Read, Mark, Learn, uh, it's a book on Romans. Uh, I think this is in in your outline here. It was, just, it was just explained really clearly and really just simply. He said, The distinction between a Christian and a non-Christian is the difference of mind. And that's not the only difference. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying there's a fundamental difference in the mind of a believer and an unbeliever. Now, this word mind is used five times here. Five times in verses uh, five through seven. And if we only thought of it as intellect or thought processes, we would be missing the point. But the word mind has a, has a more full definition for us. We have to think of mind as not just the thinking and understanding, but also the affections and the will of a person. So your desires, your affections, what you want in your deepest part of your being. So the question is simple. If we're trying to diagnose where we stand Where our identity is, the question is simple. What do you think about, desire, and live for most? What do you think about, desire, and live for most? This is a huge indicator to you about the type of person you are in this this picture Paul is painting. He says, on one hand... There's a mind that is governed, that is owned, that is led by the sinful flesh. And he will think, he will desire, and then take action on sinful things. So what's the norm for you? Are you characterized by living for and desiring sinful things? But on the other side, he gives us his other beautiful picture of a mind governed by the Holy Spirit. If you're governed by the Holy Spirit, you'll think, desire, and take action on holy things. Because the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you. Do you realize when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He doesn't just clean up a few things. He actually helps you change your desires. Change what you want. Change what you pursue. So that's a mind governed by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not telling you once you have the Holy Spirit, you are perfect. Nor am I telling you your desires are perfect. Romans 7, the back end, Paul reminds us that even he struggles to do the things uh, of God. 
But the, the question really is, what are you characterized by? If someone were to paint a picture of your desires and affections, what would it look like? Would it look like one that is seeking things to honor the Lord? Or would it look like one who is, is hell-bent on their own pleasure, their own desires, their own wants? Which one is you? So the major difference in identity, as we talked about, with either being in the spirit or in the flesh, there's a major difference in the mind, whether you're governed by the spirit and how you think and what you desire, or, or are you governed by the flesh and how you think and desire. But there's also a third one, a third difference here in these two kinds of people that we see in this text. Now, it's not one that we necessarily recognize here in this life. So I want to give you that. This is not something that you're going to use to say, oh, that helps me see more clearly who I am. But it has enormous ramifications for you. And so it's here in the text, so we need to talk about it. The third is a difference of eternity. A difference of eternity. Look at verse 6 uh, in Romans 8 with me. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Once again, this is not Paul it can be read this way. This is not Paul saying, just be careful of the flesh. This is not Paul saying to just Christians, just be wary of what's going on. Paul is drawing a direct line from your identity to your eternity. From who you are at the innermost being to where you will be in eternity. He says for Christians, for those in the spirit who their minds are governed by the spirit, Life and peace is yours. Eternal life with God and peace with God. But on the other hand, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ and he is not your savior, Paul tells you death is your eternity. Death is your eternity. Not just winked out existence, but bearing the wrath of God for eternity. That is what comes if your identity ends with your own sin. Now, just in case Paul wasn't clear enough, he actually takes this, this text a little further into 7 and 8. Read 7 and 8 with me. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. See, Paul presses home this idea that if your identity is not in Christ, if it's not in the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you are hostile to God, at war with God. Not indifferent, even though your attitude may look like indifference. You are at war with the God of the universe. I promise you that won't end well. not just hostile to God, though. It goes on to tell us that there is nothing on earth you can do to please him. Your actions cannot please God. Only once you are in Christ can you bring honor and glory to the Lord. Verse 8 is, is pretty harsh. 
This is not just a sim- simply a situation if, you're not, if you are not a Christian where you haven't obeyed enough or done enough of the right things or avoided doing the wrong things enough. Paul is saying, in your current condition, you are helpless. You either have the Holy Spirit or you don't. You're either in Christ, Christ in you, or you don't. And one of the great ways we see this truth is by seeing what are your desires? What are your affections? What do you love? Guys, I can't, I can't help you. Uh, I can't make you take this text seriously. But Paul is kind of painting this landscape for you to, to figure out which one are you. Are you in the spirit, evidenced by spirit-governed thoughts, desires, and actions? Or are you in the flesh, evidenced by fleshly desires and actions, things of the world, things that we would call sin and that God's word calls sin? Friends, can you honestly say, as Jonathan Edwards would call it, that you have holy affections? Desires that are holy. Once again, I'll say it. I'm not saying perfect. But what is the norm for you? There are plenty of times that I sin. That my affections for, uh, for things are for things that are not godly. But by God's grace through the Holy Spirit in my life, my affections, my desires are changing. I'm desiring more and more things of the Lord and less and less things of this world because the Spirit is at work in me. But if you're not seeing that in your life, I have to ask you this question. Do you really think you have a relationship with Christ if your affections, your desires, your mind is entirely oriented to yourself and the things of this world? So just as my student on this trip, had to stop and look around to see where he was. I think Paul wants you and I want you to take a stop and look around and see where you stand in light of this text. Now, if you land and you recognize, Ryan, I I don't think that's me. I don't think I know Jesus. I don't think I have the spirit actually changing my heart and my desires. I want to tell you, you have two options. One is to leave here and go do as you've been doing forever. But I can promise you where you will end and what you will get is you will get what you have earned, which is the wrath of God and eternity separated from him. But there's another option for you today. You can, you can come to Christ. You can say, God, forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I don't want to mess around anymore. Will you please forgive me? I trust in what you've done on the cross for my life. That can be you today. If this is you and you don't know where you stand, I want to urge you to go talk to somebody you know loves Jesus today. Don't let this pass until you've dealt with this. Now, if you're a believer, if you've submitted your life to Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit working in you, uh, this next part of the text, Paul zeroes in on you. He zeroes in on believers. 
And so this next thing that I, I want you to, to kind of interact with the text over and, and take action based on the text is this. You as a believer must remember what God has done in you. Okay, this is point two. Remember what God has done in you. So just as my student, we'll talk about this again kind of throughout the time, just as he first surveyed the grounds, he then took a look back. He said, how did I get here? Where did I come from? This is what Paul does here in verses 9 through 11. Let's read them together. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul laid out a landscape of there are two kinds of people with two different identities, two different minds, two different eternities. And then he looks the, the Roman Christian in the mind, and, and honestly, Christians for all of eternity. He looks at us and he says, but that's no longer you, friend. You don't have to go on living bound to your sin because you have the Holy Spirit. So if you see in verse 9, Paul says, you are in the Spirit. God dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. That's, I feel like we've been there. I feel like we've talked about this, but I'm going to be honest with you. Spirit shows up more in the uh, chapter, in chapter eight of Romans than it does in the entire book of Romans. This is a spirit chapter. Do you realize what you have by having the Spirit of God living in you? Do you realize what you have? Who's at work in you, changing you, helping you grow, exposing scripture so you can see it clearly. You have the spirit of God living in you. That is great news. But he doesn't just do that. He, he actually brings life. If you see in verse 9, uh, at, or excuse me, verse 10, it says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. Because of righteousness. So you have the righteousness of Christ on your behalf. You have life where you were once dead. Life where you were once dead. And then verse 11, uh, it kind of confirms everything we've just talked about. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. This is a reminder to all Christians to look back and see how God brought you to this place. This is a look back where we think about the fact that we have the spirit of God where we think about the fact that we have the righteousness of Christ when we deserved wrath. We look back and we can be encouraged. We look back, we can get motivation. We look back and we can be excited to move forward and to live for the glory of God. But he also promises us here in this text 
a resurrected body. I mean, that's good news. That uh, when we get to eternity, uh, we're not going to be stuck with our broken body that whenever we leave this world, whether it's 85 or 21, uh, we will have a restored and renewed body to interact with God and worship our holy God. Doug Moo put it very well in his commentary on Romans. He said, the Spirit's life-giving power is not circumscribed by the morality of the world, but it overcomes and transforms that mortality into the immortality of eternal life in a resurrected body. That's what the Spirit is going to do in you. So we must all work to remember what God has done. He has broken the power of sin in our life. He has uh, given us the Holy Spirit and the righteousness of Christ, securing for you and me, if you are in Christ, securing eternal life. Eternal life. This is our hope, friends. This is our motivation. This is what gets you excited about life. This is what uh, encourages you when you're down. This is what gives you strength to fight when you feel like giving up. So that step was crucial for my student to look around, see where he was, to look back so he could see where he came from. But the next step was key. He used all of that to determine where he was going to head. And if you look in your copy of the scripture in 12 and 13, we're going to see kind of what God would ask of us in light of these beautiful truths. I'm going to read them. 12 and 13 says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So first, we must recognize where we stand. We must remember all that God has done in you. But then what that enables us to do is to repent and fight for holiness in our lives. I want to stop here just a moment uh, because we're going to really focus in on kind of that last few words. Put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. I want to make sure we understand what this is not saying is, is, you know, Christ's work was good and all, but if you don't keep doing what you're doing, you're going to lose what you have. It's not what it's saying here. And I know it can be tempting to, to do that, but if we think through the whole counsel of God's word, what God says everywhere, what he's saying here is if you by the spirit will put to death sin, if you will be active in your fight against holiness, you are showing evidence that you are of me. You are showing evidence that you are a Christian. But if your walk, if your life is not characterized by putting sin to death, I don't think you're a Christian. I don't think you've got that spirit living in you at work in your life. It's not that you'll lose it. It's, my friends, I don't know if you ever had it. That's what Paul is saying right here. That we have to recognize Our fight is ahead of us. We look around to see what God has done. We look back to remember all he's uh, given us and done. But then we look ahead to this fight God has called us to. I love the language of scripture. You see it all over the place. Where's this, this fight, this beating, this running. 
It's never removed from the gospel, but it's always empowered by the gospel. I think we're tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're tempted to do, well, I don't want to be all legalistic, so I'm just going to let God work this out in my life. This kind of let go, let God idea of your holiness. But you don't see that in scripture. You see men and women who love Jesus because they remember what he's done, who pursue holiness. They fight to slay their sin. It's what we do. It's good for us to think this way. It's good for us to dwell on the gospel and recognize it's the gospel that fuels our fight. This is expected of you and of me. You see it right there at the back end of verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You'll live. Once we recognize that our identity is no longer in our sin and that we've been given a different mind because God's Spirit is working in us, we can come to the fight with courage with excitement, but knowing we have power outside of ourself to help us. We're not alone. I think this is what this passage is all about. Paul is trying to remind you as believers, you're not alone in this fight. There's still a fight. There's still uh, days where you wake up and you feel, you feel like you can't kill this thing. I can't slay this thing. But you have help. You're not alone. You have the Spirit of God working on your behalf. What I want to do for just a couple moments before we wrap up today is I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, what I love about Ephesians chapter 4 is it, it's, it feels a lot like Romans 8. It just gives a lot more specifics. It's reminding uh, the people in Ephesus uh, of what God has done in their life through the gospel and then gives them practical examples of things to put off and put on. Ephesians chapter 4. I actually don't have time to read it all. I want to just draw your attention to a few, a few pieces. Uh, kind of early in the text, uh, he talks about who they used to be. You no longer uh, walk as the, as the Gentiles, this is in verse 17, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, but that's not you anymore. Uh, you get to verse 20 and we'll start there. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as, as truth is in Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And he goes on to list a number of things. If you, if you see that, uh, he lists, well, I'll just read it real quick. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let every one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, do not sin, and do not let sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that we, he may have something to share with every, anyone in need. And so he continues to do this. He gives us the, the sin we need to repent of and the action we need to take on its behalf. One of the things I think we struggle with as people is we recognize we sin 
but we fail to repent specifically and obey specifically. What I mean by that is we know that there's this sin of, uh, whatever, anger in our life. And we're trusting that God's going to work in that, but we don't put together a game plan to to grow out of that sin, to put that sin to death. Or maybe uh, it's, you know, he gives specific examples like theft. I love how he does this. I don't know if, if stealing is your struggle or not, but he says, stop stealing. So we repent of theft. But then he gives them an obedience there. He gives them something to put on. And it's not just to go read your Bible obedience. It's go get a job, work hard, and earn things the right way. He gives them a specific obedience in that moment. We have to be people who are willing to repent specifically, take things to God and to people we hurt, ask for forgiveness for specific actions. But then we have to put together specific obedience plans. Because I'm afraid we sin specifically, but we repent and obey generally. And very often what that means is very little change, very little growth, very little progress towards holiness to give honor to the Lord. Does that make sense? So we have to be a people who will go after this holiness. We will be willing to fight. We will be willing to slay. I mean, this language gets me as a guy just stoked. Just this idea that I can see this as a war. I can see this as a battlefield. You think of whatever your favorite war movie is. Whatever it is. Think of the enemies in that movie. If you picture every one of them as sin in your life, if you would take it on in the way the main character takes on the enemy, putting a plan together, a strategy together, getting people involved and getting to work. If we would do that, all empowered by the gospel, once again, don't ever hear me saying losing the gospel, but because of what Christ has done, if we can put a plan like that together, we can become more like Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is in us and he works that way. Now there are some things he just comes in and just eradicates in our life and it's a pretty cool thing once you know Christ. But for most of us, we're at the point in life where we need to plan for holiness. Take action in holiness. And and I'll be honest with you guys, this is something where I've not always done a good job. I'm not. There have been things in my life where I I hope I can get get rid of that or I hope I can deal with that. But I haven't sat down in my journal and marked out, okay, okay, honey, here's Tabitha, here's how I'm going to work on this. Here's what I'm going to do. Can we talk about this on a regular basis? I haven't always done a good job at that. But that can change for you today. You have the spirit and you've got a mind if you're a Christian that desires the things of God. You can make a plan. You can plan to fight. There's nothing else in life that we want badly that we decide we don't want to plan for. You want a car? If you come along somebody who really needs a car, you don't just tell them, I hope it works out for you. You ask them, how are you planning for that? How are you budgeting for that? If budget's tight, how have you cut back so that you can put more money towards that? You plan. You make a plan and you execute. If you... If you uh, are wanting to go to college. If you're a student who wants to go to college, nobody in their right mind just comes up to you and says only, well, God will get you where you want to go. You probably don't even need to apply. 
Like, who in the world would, would, would encourage that? You say, that's great. I'm glad you want to go there. I'm glad, you know, we trust that God will get you where you want to go. But here's the things you need to do to be ready. You need to study. You need to get good grades so you can get good financial aid. You need to fill out the FAFSA. You need to do your application. You need to get your references. And you need to apply. We make a plan for things that we love. So our lack of planning when it comes to sin, I'm afraid is either, it's either because we're, we've grown lazy or because we really don't hate sin enough. Both of these are a problem for us. We must see our God as holy and we must see what God has done behind us and fight sin seriously. We must also fight laziness if that's our problem. But we must be a people because of the gospel who aggressively go after the sin in our own hearts so that we might honor the Lord in all of our life. As I finish up, I want to invite the worship team up because we're going to close in song. Uh, I would just love for you friends, listen to me, to take sin seriously. Take it seriously in your life. Take your reputation for Christ seriously. You can fight gratitude. Maybe you have a lack of gratitude in your life. You can fight it with specific, holy, or specific thankfulness. Wake up in the morning. I'm going to journal 20 things this morning that I am thankful for. Thank you, God. You can fight your greed by specific thankfulness and get this specific sacrificial giving. Maybe I, I want to hoard my money. This is all mine. Well, you know what, God? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it away. We can fight that greed. We can fight laziness by specific disciplines or acts of service. All of this is motivated by the gospel. All of it is motivated by what Christ has done in you. But we have to get specific. One of my favorite movies of all time is Gladiator. Who's laughing at me? <laughs> if you're a dude and you have not seen Gladiator, you need to go see Gladiator. Um, it's, it's a very violent movie. I, I totally get that. Um, one of the things that I love about this movie, and I, it's been impressioned on me since I was a, a little younger and I watched it for the first time, is, is the main character has an incredible determination. He is not going to lie down. He's not going to give up. He's not going to go away. He takes on, so if you don't know what this movie is, it's, it's about a gladiator. Huh? Imagine that. Uh, he gets put in, in this arena over and over and over again. And uh, he's just, <laughs> if he's going to live, everyone else has to die. If he's going to live, everyone else has to die. What if... What if we saw our sin that way? What if we saw every sin that crept into our life as something that it's going to take me down if I don't deal with it? I remember scenes in the movie where uh, he would just be slaughtering these people. And it's, uh, it's, it's a scary and it is, a, it is nasty that these are real people. But when I flip that into the spiritual realm, and when I think about Sin that is seeking to, to tear me down, to uh, destroy my influence, to destroy the name of Christ through me, to, um, to destroy my family. If we would take it that seriously, we would live differently. We would. 
We would see them pop up. And as soon as it pops up, our sword would be half out of the scabbard already. Because we're going to go slice it down. We see pride coming up and we would be on it, getting people involved, putting up a plan for holiness, uh, talking to specific people about, show me when you see this. I got to kill this. We are often too lazy or we don't care enough about the sin in our life to deal with it. And friends, if you are a believer, you have been given so much. I have been given so much through Christ. We need to take sin seriously. We need to fight for our holiness. So let's just recap really quickly and then I'll I'll pray and we'll finish up. But we as a people... All of us, in fact, everyone in this room, I want you to recognize where you stand. You need to take stock, look around, look inside, and see where you stand. Is there evidence of a mind governed by the Spirit, or do you just see evidence of a mind governed by the sinful flesh? Then we, uh, as believers, we get the, the beautiful opportunity to take a look back and say, God, Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for giving me the spirit. But then we take that remembering, we turn around and we look ahead and we say, God, you know where you want me. I know where you want me. You want me to live for you. You want me to exhibit holiness, to slay my sin, to destroy the indwelling sin in me of pride, of greed, of sexual immorality, whatever it is, I'm going to kill it. God, I can only do that by your grace. I can only do it by your spirit. But I'm going to cooperate with the spirit. I'm going to work with the spirit. That is the picture we get in Romans chapter 8. In Kevin DeYoung's book, A Hole in Our Holiness, he makes a great distinction for us. He tells us that effort is not a four-letter word. What he means by that is it's become such a bad, it's got such a bad rap here in, in the Christian culture now. We hear effort and we freak out. We freak out and call it legalist. We freak out and call it, you know, uh, fundamentalist. But effort is none of those things. He goes on to say, Christians work. They work to kill sin, and they work to live in the Spirit. They have rest in the gospel, but never rest in their battle against the flesh and the devil. The child of God has two great marks about him. He is known by his inner warfare and his inner peace. As gospel Christians, we should not be afraid of striving, fighting, and working. Brothers and sisters, let's not get lazy with our holiness. Let's not get lazy in remembering the gospel. Let's do both. Let's do both. We can repent and fight once we remember all that Christ has done. Pray with me. God, I love your word. I love that we can go to it for hope and help. God, would you work in our lives in such a way that we are challenged by the gospel. That we will think deeply about the gospel and whether it's ours or just something we talk about. 
And God, that we as believers, as Christians, would pursue holiness for your glory, for your honor, for your praise, but pursue it with a fight. That we would see every sin as something seeking to take us down. God, thank you that you work in our lives, that you're in the business of saving and in the business of sanctifying us. And it is in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things this morning.